Okay, today is Sunday, December 24th, uh, 2023, and let me begin as we should. It's uh, been a bad, bad week in general for our losses, victories, but at what price? And we have no choice, absolutely. Here at Samuel Fenech, Avinu Shemaim, let me, I began a, a paragraph above. Achenu ko bet Yisrael hanetunim betzaru b'shivyom dimbein b'yam bein b'yabashal bein b'avir hamakam yirachem aleihem yotziyim yitzaru levarcha me'ayfelu li'ora mishibad l'gula hashto b'agala v'zman kariv v'noma amen. And in addition to uh, all the soldiers that have fallen, I want to dedicate today's shir to a classmate. We go back a long way together. Uh, Rabbi Alan Schwartz, a chaplain, I believe he reached the rank of colonel. Alan Schwartz. Rabbi Alan Greenspan, your brother Alan Schwartz, Lechaimer Ruchen Beethoven, and also my student. And I believe that the, uh, Chaplain Greenspan reached the rank of colonel. Mark, am I correct? He was a colonel. You're a, a lieutenant colonel. He reached the rank of colonel and had a long career in the military, the American military rabbinate. Uh, he and his wife, and I guess the wife gets more credit than the man, at least that's what I know in my home, raised two wonderful children, Rabbi Ari Greenspan, uh, the dentist, the shaykhet, the expert on which animals are kosher. He works with Ari Zivotovsky, Professor Zivotovsky. And their daughter married Rabbi Lerman, Mark Lerman, who was a Talmud in this very kolel. That's his uh, son-in-law. And I believe she was my student in Michlala. And uh, well, he was a great guy. We never called him by his first name. We called him Doc. And uh, how did he get the name Doc? There was a teacher in Yeshiva College, Doc Horowitz. Uh, I, I, I don't even remember what he taught physical ed, uh, and, and he was a magician, a, a, a sideshow. He had a daughter who became a famous TV, TV personality. Sherry Lewis. Sherry Lewis, correct. And uh, Alan was like his shamus. Alan followed him around, and they had a fabulous relationship. And because it was Doc Horowitz, Alan became Doc Greenspan. Many, many years later, you know, we, uh, we parted ways. I got, we got Smicha together in 61, and uh, he graduated college 58. I graduated college 59, but we got Smicha together in 61. And then we parted ways. I went into the rabbinate. He, he became a chaplain. Many decades later, in my class in Machal, in Michlala, which his daughter is in, he shows up, and he walks into class, and I look at him, I look at him, and I suddenly jump up like a, like a, a, a robot going into outer space. Doc, Doc, how are you? The whole class is looking at me. What, Doc, what schmuck? What are you calling him, Doc? You know, he couldn't, couldn't put it together. But we knew him as Doc, and he was just a great guy, a Eurasia Mayim, and... And just a great, devoted, dedicated individual. And it's a big loss. And during this year, I think the, the funeral, I think, is this morning, uh, you know, lunch foot. So during this year, so his memory should be a blessing. 
and wonderful condolences to the family and the warm memories should inspire you and comfort you. Okay. Uh, let me move on. I have a lot I want to do this morning. But first of all, as usual, I want to relate to Pesh Sheurim. And I heard from Rabbi Meir Gurgav, um, who Chabad Center of Passaic County, he just points out to me that uh, regarding Shmini Atzeret, Chabad Mekimamakmir, not to eat anything outside the sukkah, including a, including a glass of water. Of course, we do not make the bracha leshe So I imagine he wants to uh, remove Chabad from the general uh, indictment that the Rav had against the Hasidim that they eat on the sukkah on Shmini Atzeret. Um, eat outside of the sukkah, I should say. Um, regarding the... Um, tremendous machloket and my personal disappointment in the literature world uh, that it has some individuals that are so distant from the Jewish people. And again, I refer you to the Rambam Parakimel Hilchat So I just want to mention, I got a wonderful letter from a dear student who's a big Talmud Chacham and lives in Beit Shemesh, Rabbi Dr. Moshe Kravitz, and uh, he writes to me the mere <coughs> this person Rabbi uh, So two things: one, that it wasn't mere is split into many chaburat. It's like Lakewood. My Talmud, who's a graduate of Lakewood, the Ben Sion Turin, who's in Lakewood right now. There's a family wedding, so Ben Sion commented on something I said weeks ago that I was describing Lakewood as an umbrella with many little uh, chaburat. And he thought I was being, you know, I compared it to Lakewood in my time. And I was not, not that I was being critical. It's just the new development that we've never had in any of the yeshiva in Eastern Europe, where you have thousands upon thousands of Talmudim who split into tens and tens of little groups and there's no focal Rosh Yeshiva. So uh, Rabbi Kravitz says to me the same thing about me, the fact that he spoke for one group and said what he said. Yes, I'm fully aware of that. Nevertheless, the word went out that this was me, Yeshiva. It's all over the world. I didn't believe someone could have said what he said. When I first heard it, I thought it was false news. But unfortunately, I found that it was true. But it wasn't mere, it was a chabura within mere. Uh, the world doesn't understand this. The mere he, world hears mere yeshiva, and as that article I quoted said, and it's a, re- a reliable paper, Makari shown, yeshiva at mere peanuts uh, satma. I would advise mere to publish ads all over the world, a disclaimer that this was not an official function of the yeshiva, an official affair. Uh, coming back to Schreiber, who said what he said, and I don't want to repeat it because you have to recreate when you hear what he said, Loa uh, Lenu. So uh, my dear student Moshe says to me that uh, it could be that uh, the reason he is so extreme is that his father of Pinchas Schreiber, Beit Nevashtot, was among the Terren children and was sent to a secular kibbutz 
even though he knew Isavecheta by heart as a child. This can explain the son's vicious anti-anything to do with Zionism. Well, I was interviewed by David Lichtenstein. I don't know whether it's played, not played. I only hope it's played soon. And I advise everyone to listen. And I challenge anyone to prove me wrong. I've said this in class. I've said it time and again. Zionism does not exist today. The state of Israel is a reality. Zionism achieved what it achieved. The Satmas say it's my Satan. Anyone with a head on their shoulders says it's God's doing. Uh, Siddiq Rebbe said to the Satma, how come you attribute the Shoah to God and the state of Israel to Satan? I would rather do it the opposite way. And uh, that's what the, the Rebbe said. And that's obvious that God, you have a miracle here. And uh, today we're dealing with a different reality. And you have to hear my talk with David Lichtenstein where this point is the main point of his grilling me and questioning me. But showing you the difference and why I um, wrote to a Hasidic student uh, just uh, the other day that I may soon have to put on a gato, take a look what the Colin Stolen Rebbe had to say. We're talking about the Hasidic dynasty, which is here in Givat Zev, uh, transferred from Brooklyn, transferred from Europe, and the Harav Baruch Meir Yaakov Sheichet is the Colin Stanlon Rebbe here. And I'm quoting word by word. Rabim Sholim Lamen Yisakenu Nizaknu Lachagbiya Vat Yisrael Bezman HaMilchama Zuhi Derech Rabotenu Vezu Derech HaTora Lahalof Kol Yehudi Beli Livdok Betzitziotav Velichfol Litovat Kol Adam BeYisrael Mechat <laughs> and I don't have to add an additional comment. Uh, Vic asked me for the printout of the Collins Stolen Rebbe that I just quoted, and I sign on the dotted line with every word. So as I wrote to Arye Liebman, my dear Arye Liebman, I might have to put a gopal on and announce I'm no longer from the Litvische Welt, but the semi-Hasidic world. I can't become a total Hasid. I still have the Litvish blood within me. I offered you the Shekin. Right. I, I might have to take Vic up on the golden uh, Shtek, the golden cane, and I'll have to grow a beard and everything else that goes with it. Okay. Now, last week I mentioned in passing that uh, Torah is eternal, and we are able to live in every civilization. 
and uh, we got involved. I mentioned it to Liachiyad. I didn't want to, I, many decades ago, I did go into great deal to Cherem de Rabbeinu Geshem, but uh, it, it created a lot of comment, and um, I have to say, Talmudim wrote to me that Monday we're talking about the Vilna Gong. The Vilna Gong was in favor of abolishing the Cherem. And this I'm quoting now from Maiserav. It's not in, this is an edited edition of the Maiserav. I have a primitive edition that doesn't have all this. But here's a section on mitzvah. And they quote the Talmud Muvhak of the Vilna Gong, the author of the, uh, the Pa'ei HaShulchan, <coughs> Rabbi Yisrael Mishikolov. And he says about the Vilna Gong that the Vilna Gong said, I would go from city to city if I could change our Torah life. I would give up my learning, give up my davening, and go from city to city. And what would, And he says, two things I want to change. What does he want to change? That I would re, 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 repudiate the cherem of Ragenu Geshem. And levatel cherem de Rabbeinu Geshem b'inishtein Hashim. And I don't know if we, you understand what he's saying. I'll explain it very simply. If you're familiar with the Kabbalistic literature, Mashiach will come when all the sons will be born that have to be born. So if you can have two wives, like I said last week, I played that game of Hong Gold. Four wives, 50 children. Wow. I'm, I, I'm between my grandchildren and great-grandchildren, I have a lot more than 50, but it takes three, four generations. Here, in one generation, then 50, if each one has 10 kids. Wow. Wow. So uh, that's one thing to go on. The other thing to go on, wanted to uh, institute in this Baruch Hashem we have, that uh, Kohanim should say Bichat Kanem every day. In other words, Kol Svachut B'nai Yisrael should be every day, like in Eretz Yisrael. The Svadim all over do every day. But here in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim they do, Petach Tikva they do, maybe other places too, I don't know. Tell me, do you know other places they do? And in Chutzlaretz, we only do Yantif. Doesn't make sense. Why only Yantif? So of course, yeah. again, you can see the sources. Because we're Shibud Malchut, Sara, we're not happy, and Yantaf we're happy. And that's where you come to when Yantaf falls on Shabbos, the Rub's first big Machloket in the United States. And they called the Rub a Machalo Shabbos in Boston, and they bought a trustees of the shul, as one of the many shuls that he was supposedly chief rabbi, and they told him never to come back to that shul, because he insisted that when Yanta falls on Shabbos, the Kohenim have to do him. And the Balabatim, could you imagine, Ad Kedei Kach, they called him a Mechavu Shabbos. Now, the question of more wives than one, so there's a lot of scholarship written, and Enoch Inami, uh, there's a whole, a whole uh, website which is against Torah, uh, Yomo printed it out for me, and they want to show, in other words, they want to show how primitive the, the gong was that he was in favor of abolishing the Cherem de Rabbeinu Geshem, like we're primitives. 
Uh, I think I explained it correctly. Marriage through the years has taken on a different format. And what a wife expected, uh, Rachel and Leah and the uh, Bilhan Zupa, there were different expectations then. Today, marriage is a lot more than just children. And you can't have a proper family if you have more than one wife. It's just, uh, doesn't go, it goes against the grain of society, or at least the society that we're part of. Now, so there's no halachic problem here in saying have only one wife. What's interesting is that I was absolutely correct in all of Chazal, you find very little evidence that any great Rav, or anyone for that matter, had more than one wife. And there's a lot of material in Nachum Lam sent me, but I, it's, I don't want to go into it now. I want to come to what I'm teaching. But what's most fascinating, the Baba Sali had three wives. You can see the article in the Wikipedia. And uh, Yomo tried to establish that he had three wives simultaneously. It turns out that uh, one wife died in childbirth. Yomo missed everything. The Rebbe converted to Hasidicism and he's out of the room. Uh, unbelievable. But one wife died in childbirth, his first wife. And the child died, it was a girl. So what about the other two? And as much as we searched, we couldn't figure out if it was together or separate, the third wife. What, what, how, what do I mean by this? Very simple. If you go Wikipedia, they have every, they have the biographies of everyone. It's terrific, way beyond encyclopedias. They even have a whole entry in a guy named Rakefet. You follow me? You don't find that anywhere else? Color Kavol? Dug up Rakefet. Go to movie stars, you'll always find they list, or any famous person, they list his wife, married 47, divorced 51. Married, 56. Divorce, you know, movie stars, uh, Hollywood crowd. There are very few exceptions that work out a happy marriage. There are some, but they're few and far between. And uh, you go to the Babasali, it lists three wives, but it doesn't give dates. So at first glance, you're most right, he had three wives. At second glance, it has to be checked whether the last two were concurrent or consecutive. You follow? If anyone knows, let me know. Okay. Now, let's come back to Rav Menashe Klein. And I, I decided to listen to Yomo on this level. Uh, I've said this years ago, and I'll have to say it again in great depth when I deal with Evanessa, which can be a few years away. God should spare me. You have to explain who this man is and what he went through. Because what we're going to hear later today is very caustic and very bitter. And I want to make two comments. And I'm probably one of the few people alive who can deal with one part of it. Life is amazing. And I've had some very deep traumatic experiences in life. And this is one of them. When I came to Newark, uh, when I came to uh, Essex County, 62, 
And I'm very proud of what I did. Seven years, when I, we left, they were crying the farewell breakfast. I got up and spoke. I said, look, we're going to Jerusalem. No one should be crying. But I built an Orthodox shul, Yesh Meyayim. And uh, who are you friendly with there? You need friends. Today I'm friendly with my students. Uh, my uh, contemporaries uh, either are not standing or barely standing. So we became very friendly with the principal of the day school in Newark. I'm not mentioning any names, although there's nothing... I should mention names, but let me not mention. I don't know, some people are very uh, moody and uh, uh, touchy if you mention their name. These people are not alive. And our children played together. And there was a lovely girl. It's not their eldest daughter. The eldest one uh, and, uh, was not part of the crowd. But the younger daughters were very friendly with my daughters. And they were like a second family. This girl became, a few years later, became my student at Michala. Not a few years later, 10, 12 years later. And, you know, it was a wonderful deep relationship. This is the little girl I carried, the little girl at play, and now she's a brilliant student in Michlala. So one of the teachers in Michlala, her parents unfortunately got divorced. It was unheard of at that time. There are reasons why. She, the mother, so we were very close to the mother, the father. When the father remarried, I was Masada Kedushin, so it tells you something. The mother was very successful and aggressive. And the male was more laid back, more of a tzaddik and midot, and couldn't be too aggressive. And uh, ultimately he would move after a few years to a new position. And we were living in Israel, they got divorced, it was shocking for us. It may have been our first or second year here. And this girl is growing up, my Talmidah. And one of the faculty members of Michala, a lady, set up a shidduch with her with a young man from Toronto. Medical doctor. <coughs> and she marries, gets pregnant, has a boy. She never saw her son again after the Brit. Took the boy away. Got doctors to write that she's mentally imbalanced, can't see the child. Once she didn't see the child for three years, he has total possession. Canadian law, whatever. Tell me, who do you think that man was, her ex-husband? Rabbi Menashe Klein's son from his first marriage. What do you think happened to Menashe Klein? Comes to America, a refugee, starting all over again. He had been, survived the gas chambers, was in France. That's where Eli Weisel and him bonded again after meeting in the Lager. It's the Yiddish word for the concentration camps. I knew survivors, they would say, you have given by Hitler in Lager. 
I, that's the way they said it in Yiddish. I was at Hitler's concentration camp. And uh, he comes to America, marries this woman, Bijichus, and they have a son. She takes the son away after the Brit. Basically, he never saw his son again. At least until the kid was big enough in his 20s to go on his own. And that son is the one who married my student, the medical doctor. Okay? Now, if you just heard this story, does it start to reveal Menashe Klein's attitude towards women? Follow? And you should know, Malk and I, if one of the reasons we're going to get to heaven and high up, one of the stepping stones is that this poor lady, our Talmud, our dear little girl that we knew from childhood, she was suffering terribly. She had no home to return to. Parents had divorced. She went through hell in Toronto, in a strange country, a strange land. Never set foot in Toronto before her marriage, basically. And uh, we went to Rabbanasha Klein. And he said, I, with tears, you know, he's a very good person. Couldn't help. I went through what you're going through. <coughs> and you should know, Malker and I, whenever we went to America, you know, with our Russian activities, at one point we was going two, three times a year, we always met with this girl, her aunt and uncle, Tzadikim, Tzadikim, they're not alive either anymore. They took her in, provided a home for her, stability, she worked in the computer, she was a very bright girl, computers, long before I knew how to turn on a, a computer, and worked for the public library system. We would always go to visit her and give her chizuk. That's as far as Rabbi Nash and Klein. I'll just finish out the story. We had a great neighbor, Rabbi Yoshua Hutner, my revered neighbor. His first wife, was a niece of the Pitsetsna Rebbe, the Eish Kodesh. You with me, Vic? His first wife. He was a man whose grandmother ran the city of Ishushuk. His grandfather was rough. She ran the city. Some men are afraid of powerful women. Right? There are movies about this. I don't have to tell you. But it's a, a fact. There are men, you know, you set up the girl as too bright. My wife always tells some ladies dating, she says, Dumb down, dumb down. That's my wife's expression. Uh, some men are afraid. Rav Hutner worshipped the ground of powerful women. Kala Kavodlo. And uh, I, I inherited a little of that from him. I had tremendous inheritance from my students, women, who have conquered the world and are good wives and good mothers as well, which is most important. So uh, his first wife rose to become Skan Menechelet of the Mishvat Apnim. And she died young. He married Bezivik Sheni, Reb Shmuel Salavechik's widow, Batsheva, who was an Ishagidullah. You have no idea what we're talking about. Rav Putna said at her funeral, I never in my life saw any 
his first wife and other women in his life. The Yichis, his sister was married to 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 Rav, to Rav Cook, to Tzvi Yehuda Cook. That was his brother-in-law. I never saw a woman as saintly and capable as Bathsheba. And and he said at the funeral that I will be buried next to her. Of course, he had a, one daughter with the first wife. And I was like, P'minik Yisrael, you're buried with the wife yet? He said, no, I'll be buried next to her. So, why am I telling you all this? From the Eish Kodesh's family, there was, from Rav Huttner's first wife, there was a nephew. Grew up in Tel Aviv. Father was a shtickler rebbe had a good religious Zionist education, teaching in, in Mamlachti Dati school in Tel Aviv, I believe, and couldn't find himself, was not married. A shidduch was made between my student and this young man, and they had a beautiful, beautiful marriage. He became a Hasidic Rebbe. His family's tradition has a big shoe in, Ram, in Beit Shemesh today. A good following, including Talmidim of mine. And it was a beautiful marriage. God rewarded her. They had a big, big family. Many years later, her son, who already was well over 20, showed up at Hadwa. I don't know how much of a deep relationship they had, but at least she saw him again. But with all this being said, this is one side of Rav Menashe Klein. And it plays out in this tshuva. It plays out in Evanessa. There's a lot more to talk about in Evanessa. And people were super critical of Rav Menashe Klein. And I said, look, I don't agree one million percent with him, but I will not be super critical. I know what he went through up close. Point one. Point two. I grew up in the lap of Mayor Kahana. <clears throat> I need not tell you who Mayor was. But I also always tell my students on one area I differ, and you've heard me say this a thousand times over the generations, I cannot teach hatred of Goyim. Why not? Why not? And it's very simple. I'm sitting here because of simple sugihar, Seichet Sadek Levracha. I don't have to elaborate. When you think what one Gentile did for no personal gain he saved the world of Torah. That I have a right at my old age to say I'm a little bit upset with part of the Litvisha world, fine. But he saved the Litvisha world, the, the world that raised me. I'll talk tomorrow about something you'll understand even better. But look, I've gotten the question time and again. I debated. At one time in Israel, there was uh, uh, English programs. Told me in the English language. When I came, 69, 70s, into the 70s. So, you know, they need fillers, and I was young. A young person wants to get the reputation. Uh, I 
agree, to debate, to talk, to dialogue. Today, if they called me and asked me, I'd slam the phone down. It's bad enough that I have to waste time on these interviews, which I hope something comes of it. If Lichtenstein will use the interview, I'll be happy if people hear what I said. We're fighting a, a, a Das Terra program. What is Yiddishkeit all about, or a Das Terra problem? And I think I know a little bit about Torah Tashem Tamima. I had the privilege to sit here next to the, the Rav was in my seat. So, we've gone through hell with the Gentiles. I don't want to minimize what, what, what we saw today Imagine the president of Harvard, the president of, of UFP, Rutgers is involved, MIT, and by the way, Jews, president of MIT, talking to Jewish ladies, self-hating Jews, Bernie Sanders, Jews who don't know what Judaism is about, intermarried, and they're speaking as Jews. The Rip Korea, what, what, what the assimilation has done to us. What we have gone through, the world, the BBC, how can you have any good feeling for Gentiles? Nevertheless, I have to overcome it. And as I've said, when a Gentile picks up a rock to throw at me, shoot him immediately. But when you meet a Gentile and he's a decent human being, give him all the respect in the world. He too was created. B'Tselem Elohim. Menashe Klein went through the Holocaust. Do you have any idea what it's like when you say someone went through the Holocaust? Every minute your life hung in balance. Selections, axioms, concentration camps, the gas chambers, the crematoriums, and by the way, the world stood by just like today. It's unbelievable what's happening before our eyes. France and America swore to us Hezbollah would not cross the Litani River. See what we have up north? Jordan and Egypt made peace with us guarding the borders. Look what they smuggled into Aza with all that we so-called had a, sh a blockade on the seaport. So it's beyond comprehension. Look what's going on with the Houthis. They just destroyed another ship yesterday. Far away from their area. And America, Britain has issued statements. Macron can't do a thing or they'll assassinate him in France. And these are the Gentiles that, w that we have confidence in. So this too explains his attitude. Okay, now let's come in. Let me move further. We have a world to do, but we won't finish it today. It's a fascinating chiffre. The whole question of being miser on a family, kid, you hit, cruel, you don't feed the children, whatever. And are you allowed to hit kids? And... Uh, the Gemara in Makkot, if you looked it up, the Gemara I quoted last week, there's no question it's in favor of hitting a kid. More than he deserves to be hit. Showing him who's boss. Exactly like Rabbi Klein. 
I brought this book today. If anyone wants it, I'll be happy to give it to you. You can keep it or pass it on. Zalman Aye Hilzerad. I told you, I taught his daughter maybe 50 years ago in Michala, in Michala, Machon Gold, and uh, he was the head of the OU. And you got to read what I quoted to you last week, you know. I brought my kid back and I told the Rebbe, beat the hell out of him. And not if he did, even if he did, got enough beating, beat him more. But you see, that's a certain approach. That we don't agree with it. I don't agree with it 100%. But I'm a product of the modern world, the Western world. And Baruch Hashem, my wife raised good children. Never hit them. Never. I helped raise grandchildren. You should see their devotion to us. Never ever raised a hand. They say about the grandchildren, why do they love their grandparents so much? Because they have a they share a common enemy. The parents. It's a good vote. There is there is some truth to it. But I remember our children saying to us, Abba Ima, you know, the kids run to your house. Take our side, stand behind us. You know, they shouldn't think they can run home to you and uh, everything they do, you hug and kiss them and Baruch Hashem, but the kids turned out. I remember I would say to my grandchildren, they're growing up in Katamon. Katamon, you have no idea the sea change in Katamon. Ephraim, when we came in Aliyah, was backwater country. And when the Bentheims built that house for the Zussmans, who never just, they just lost the grandson in battle, everyone say, what, in Katamon, the Bentheims built a mansion? And that's when the Shtibbles, Hani Rund, also a YU graduate, was building up the Shtibbles. And my daughter got involved renovating the mikveh, which today was renovated again 40 years later, 45 years, 40 years, 35 years later, renovated in memory of Nava Applebaum. It's state-of-the-art mikveh today. So Katamon, Katamon changed something beautiful. But when we came, you, you, you saw kids running, yelling, shouting, Hitting, fighting, screaming, cursing is a different area. But then, so I remember with my children as the area started to change, my grandchildren, Americans are coming. And these are kids born in Jerusalem. My grandchildren are all born here. And, and, and suddenly they're exposed to liquor and good, you know, good liquor. But Americans, I, I, I I have a little brandy. I'm the happiest guy. No, my grandchildren taught me with with what, what the, the the scotch, and in caskets and t- ten years old and twenty years old. Every punishment. So I remember one time I said to the kids, I said, "You guys are growing up here. You see every last decadent act in the world. How are you going to stop? You got liquor. You have every type of good candy, American imports, whatnot." Soon you'll be on drugs. And already at a very young age, they knew about drugs, knew about liquor. And it worked to my advice. You know, you, know, you have no idea how my one grandson just home for Shabbos. He's back in. He's been in battle for two months already. Tank commander. He wrote the book on tanks. So I shoved. I said, what do you want, Kiddush? I have everything in the house you want. He says, chocolate liqueur. <laughs> he 
Moshe, I looked at him, I said, boy, my chinuch worked with you, that's all I can say. It's not the, it's not the, you know, it's the first Kiddush, I always say the first one is, uh, is a Hasidic Kiddush, but later, and uh, how do you raise, it's all, you see, it's a different mentality, and with love, and I'll tell you the same thing with students, Hasva Khalila Rebbe should have a ruler on his desk. Love is essential to being a good Rebbe. And I'm, I'm not just talking at the age I'm teaching. I'm teaching you're all older than me and all smarter than me. But I'm talking, I began, you know, you know in 59, Kalmet Torah, little kids, elementary, elementary. But you have to let the kids feel, I love you. And I would always say, you're our future. If you don't take over Torah, there'll be no Torah Jews tomorrow. Be proud. Accept it. It's like a Congressional Medal of Honor. It's a whole different approach today. In Salanta, whack, whack. I told you about the Maggio's handler. All right. Now, and he, he rips the heck out of the modern ideology that you report child abuse. He tells the story of the kid crossing the street last week, Reb Meishashera, and my whole commentary, which I got a lot of agreements that if Reb Meishashera would be alive and active, you wouldn't have such terrible statements by people associated, excuse me, with our good at Yisrael. And and now he comes to a point, and this is interesting. I'm sorry, yes, he's not here. I would like to hear a psychologist's comment. But he says, what do you mean taking the kids away from parents? Who said the kid wants to leave? And he says, a kid would choose to be beaten up by his father occasionally, but to have his real parents. Adaraba. And and uh, very fascinating comment. And you see, where do you draw the line? Most kids, all right, if the father gives them a smack, uh, there was a big incident in Israel. See, it's also the mentality. The foreign ministry appointed, I think it was a Druze, it was an Arab, I think it was a Druze. And they appointed him to represent Israel in one of the countries in Africa, I believe. And his enemies, you know, when you're a politician, you're going to have friends, and you're going to have enemies. It's the nature of the game. So his enemies snitched to the press, and the press is always looking for stories. They claim the watchdog of democracy. Half the time, their stories are pure lush and her and rechilet, and uh, Yomo would rip their necks off if he could because of what they're publishing. So the press got hold of the fact he occasionally slapped his wife. In Hebrew, I learned the new words. I think it's a Yiddish word, aflik. Aflik. Am I right, Vic? I, I think it's a Yiddish word because it's not a Hebrew word, but that's the word they use, aflik. And... Uh, they, Mitzrata Chutz had to withdraw the appointment. But you see, it's a conflict here. In their society, an occasional slap from the husband, all right, that's part of the ball game. 
uh, in our society, you're going to slap your wife? I, I, I mean, just the Havi Amina sickens me, I will say. So you see, here the kid, all right, kids get slapped. I remember Balin's father had a belt that he had on the table. The kids knew they had to toe the mark. All right, they were happy. This was the mentality. There's a kid, you tell a kid, no, we're going to take you away. These people will never slap you. And the kid will say, let me be slapped occasionally. I deserve it. I love my parents. My parents love me. Push comes to shove. All right. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. But where do you draw the line? Most normal people are not going to kill a kid. What if you do if you have a parent who has a terrible temper? And I have seen tempers. I mean, you've seen it in old movies. You'll see temper tantrums. <laughs> Whenever I see it, I, I laugh. I just saw uh, from a movie out of the 30s, pulls the tablecloth and everything falls on the floor. I saw that in life. I saw people who got mad. They pulled it. Where do you draw the line? Follow? To be, could be I'm too much of a softy. I don't know. But this is my nature. This is what Torah has taught me. This is what Musa has taught me. But then you're going to have someone who's paranoid. I don't know. I'd like to hear a commentary. The answer is there's no black and white. And this is what makes these questions so delicate. You have to have trained people, social workers, psychologists, trained people. In Israel, we try to do... I have to give credit. You know, we're a country... Who knows how many years it's going to take to get back to normal. You don't know what we have ahead of us. It's the battle now, the North, the Houthis, Iran, America. Who knows what's going to be in America? It's, it's frightening thoughts. France is gone. France, any Jew who lives there, his life is in danger daily. But Israel, with all its difficulties, as I told you, they have a whole division of Haredi women who are officers in the police, specialists in these type of problems. Now, and then he goes on and uh, he says with all that they do and they take away the children, uh, you're dealing here with Isurim the Oraita, and he's going to go into great detail, but I, I just, his whole introduction, the kids will not know who their parents are, their real parents. And this involves many halachat. Number one, kibaraviyeim. You have a father and mother. And there's, by the way, a lot of response literature written. What if your father, what if your parents are? Mechalalei Shabbos. Ochein levedot mtreifa. Chiyiv kibaraviyen. I have one student, he's no longer alive, but he didn't ask me. Because it was, he asked a colleague of mine from YU. And I totally disagree with the psaki he got. His father died, 
and his father did some bad things to granddaughters. Got a psak, he doesn't have to say Kaddish. No public mourning. And I, I told him, that, it's your father. All right, he was a sinner. I know the whole story. You confided in me years ago. I know the story. But publicly, you're not saying cottage people ask. Keep it in the family. All in the family, Archie Bunker. Don't turn it into a, a public denunciation. And he got upset. I was flabbergasted. It's, I was in America. It must have been after the, the, the Schleichen, before, right, right after. It's not saying Kaddish. Where do you draw the line? And if you're given over to an adopted family, do they ever tell you you're adopted? Remember, until recently, you could never find out who your natural parents were, the birth parents, they're called. Could never find out. Now, I understand after you turn 18 or 21, it depends on the state, you can find out. I don't know what the law is in Israel, but also after a certain point, you can investigate who your birth parents are. But who are you obligated to honor? Your mother, your father, the birth parents, or the people raising you? See, you get involved here with a whole question bordering on the orita. On the other hand, I have to say, and I want to make this clear, if parents raise you, and educate you, and spend money on you. And you know my vote. Why, if we, I, I'm paraphrasing the Medrash, Medrash Rabbah, why should anyone marry? Thank God we have a sexual urge. If we wouldn't have that sexual urge, you know, that lady, she's a stranger. Why do I have to have kids? Make a cheshman, Kenny, how much your parents spent on educating you and sending you to Israel. You understand? Why do I have to have kids? Ah, but you have a sexual urge, you have a wife, she's a mother. It's a whole different ballpark. But you see, there are two sides to this coin. When you have parents who raised you, you're chayef to be decent to them. What I would call gemilat chesed, gomlim, gomlim. You know what that expression means? We do good, you do good. There's an equation here. They were good to you, you be good to them. And I'll tell you, okay, I'll show you what I'm saying here. Unfortunately, again, I disagreed with a psak here in Israel, the big posek. This story I'm telling you goes back many many years, decades. There was a, a YU graduate who was, his mother was from down south. I think Atlanta, but I may be wrong. But down south, it was rare to find good Jews down south when I was growing up. And uh, her husband died when this kid was like a year old, a year and a half. And she remarried a wonderful man, a man, Zichronim Levracha, great Jews that I knew. He was a big fighter for Torah. A balabas devoted his life to fighting for Torah. Now, he raised this kid like his own children. He had many children with his wife afterwards. I think six, seven, 
wonderful children. Raised this kid. No one knew it wasn't his son. And then he died. And this kid went and asked the Shiloh, the big Polsek in Israel of American origins, does he have to sit shiva, observe any form of mourning? And he said, no. I, when I heard that, say, you have no idea how upset I was. Tell me, is there any bracha you say when you sit shiva? It's no bracha. What's wrong? Why does the world have to know it wasn't your birth father? He raised you from the age of one, one and a half, two. Educated you, clothed you, fed you, treated you like his own child. And people were gossiping, like, stop saying shit. It was unnecessary. You owe him that much? All right. You don't go to work, you sit, you're part of the family. I know many cases where children who were raised by someone who was not their birth father, publicly they had shit. It's no brachel of You follow me? It's not like a shayla of the cleaves get when the couple remarries. Can you make a bracha? Can't you make a bracha? There, he said, the only time in history I know of where a man said to a woman, old Kedat Moshe of Israel. And no bracha could recite. Follow? But here, but this is a very, very delicate area. So that's number one. The police take the kid away. How can he do Kibaraviyam? And in too recently, you never knew who your father was, your mother was. Not allowed to know. These people raised you, took it from an orphanage. I had a very dear friend, again, I can't mention any names. It's Malonga, Hashem Yikom Damal, killed by the Arabs. He was a Levi, I saw. I knew his family story. I said, how do you know you're a Levi? He said, my parents went to with a Jewish adoption, I think Louisa Weiss or something. It doesn't exist today. Only Jewish children. And they said, we can only adopt a kid who's a Levi because the father who's going to raise him is a Levi. But this was a case where children were given up for adoption Lower Lenu, you know, with promiscuous sexual behavior, so the mother is pregnant uh, uh, and and they're not married, and she gives the kid up for adoption, not abortion, but adoption. There's a famous movie actress, Loretta Young. Have you ever heard the name? It's out of the 30s, 40s. So she she, she was a, a TV afterwards in your time. She was a Catholic. And she became pregnant and she wasn't married. And her mother, they devised a scheme the world should know. And the, everyone said, do an abortion. She said, no, I'm a Catholic. I mean, it's amazing, you know, how these religions work. That she can have all the premarital relationships and say Hail Marys, but she can't do an abortion. It's murder. And they covered up the baby. No one knew she was pregnant because they were afraid the studio would fire her. It was the 30s. It's not like today where who cares when you're pregnant, you're 14 years old, so what? You became pregnant. You have an abortion. And and, uh, there she 
gave the kid up for a while for adoption, then she raised the kid later. But you see, who's the mother? Who's the father? And this family adopted three children from this Jewish agency. The boys had to have natural birth fathers as lithium. And the agency vouched. They gave them an official document. The kid was lazy. So this is one problem. Then there's another problem. A very big problem that comes to play if you recall my lectures on Mamzerut, and uh, I believe I write it up as well in Rakafet Aaron Chelik Gimel. And and this is a real problem. Again, I had a very good friend. Later in life, he became a tzaddik about Shiva. Zechronel Levracha, a man who did a lot of good for for Judaism. And uh, we were very close. We bonded on Russian jury issue because he was involved too. And he told me when he was in medical school, he had to support himself. He'd give his sperms to the sperm bank. And he said he must have fathered, he told me, over 50 children. All right. Got paid. And then he had money. Long before he became a, I don't even want to use the word long before he discovered what Torah is about. You know, these people were raised with nothing in America. So, uh, now I want to ask you a question. Rakefet said of what Klausner always repeated it, Yassi Zechonel of and he always attributed it to Chazal. I said, Yassi, it's my joke, not Chazal. What was my vote? How do you know a happy couple? They look like each other. When a couple looks like each other, I say, Oh, I see. Wow, I see a resemblance. That's a sign it's going to work out. It's a good marriage. All right. You're going out with a girl. You're hunting for a girl. You go out, you're happy. Hey, you have the same disposition. You have the same abilities. You even look a little bit alike. Hey, tell me, do you know that your brother and sister? Sperms. Who's who? Adoption. And you think this didn't happen? This is the whole problem with artificial insemination. Donor. AID. It's one of the major problems. Forget about the Satmas problem that it's adulterous relationship. That's not halakhically correct. Adulterous relationship. Meishu is correct there. You, you know what I'm talking about. But you're attracted to each other. You don't even know your brother and sister. And, and this happened in Beersheba. You won't believe it. A couple was going together, attracted together. It was a big news here in Israel. And somehow, uh, one part revealed, you know, I'm adopted, I'm really, uh, etc. And, and they checked back. And it turned out it was the same man who fathered both of them. And 
what, what's the word? Similars attract? There's a word like that? Similarities. What, what, what's it say? Similarities attract. Similarities attract. It's, 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 you can understand it. Uh, look, in general, Ashkenazim marry Ashkenazim. In Israel, it's changing because we're no longer Ashkenazim, we're no longer Sephardim. My grandchildren are Israelis. And I've told you this many times, whenever I speak at a family simcha and I talk about the different blood being united, the kids, the parents understand what I'm saying, but the kids don't understand. Because we're Israelis, what's that to do? We're not American, we're not Polish, we're not Taimaniim, we're not this, we're not that. We're Israelis, born and bred here. And, and, and Rabbi Nasha Klein is right. Imagine you give a kid up for adoption and uh, he'll never know who his real brother and sister is and similarities attract. Now, in Israel, it's even worse than America. because in America, you can say rov goyim and somehow pass it off that... Uh, who can tell that it's Jews and Jewish blood in Israel? You don't have Ravgan, just the opposite. And this is why a lot of Jewish ladies, and among them my own students, they go to Germany. Just listen to what I'm telling you. I think it's in Munich. There's a big hospital. Tell me it's a city block. My wife won't let me go to Germany. I was once a few years ago, 10 years ago maybe, I was offered, well, I can tell you exactly when it was, it was, no, it was five years ago. On the Rev's 25th yard side, I spoke in America, etc. And they came over to me, they wanted, uh, from Germany, there were people working for the Lauder Foundation, they want me to come to Berlin and give a series of lectures. And my wife said, absolutely not. I'm not setting foot in Germany, and neither are you. And I bowed to my wife's wisdom. But uh, they go to Germany, because there they can follow Reb Moshe, Rov Bielot Habal. And there too, I have to tell you, Mark, everyone has mixed feelings. It's not simple. You're taking German sperms into the Jewish body. Which leads to the whole question of uh, nature or nurture. You follow? What's the controlling factor? Those sperms are German. Is that going to influence the kid? Or no, you can have German sperms and the kid grows up in Israel can be a tremendous Talmud Chacham. How's that different than Gaius? Uh, well, Gaius, they choose. They're already Chazal say, and I can tell you it's a fact that everyone who's Megaya, the soul is at my Hasina. You don't stop Megaya, but you choose. Here, you have no idea. Yes, you Jewish mother and his soul is not What did you say? What did you say? born of a Jewish mother and his soul is not from, was not in Harsina? And, 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 no, the, the Jewish mother, but what about, this is a Goya who converted. And Chazal say that their souls were at Hasinai. That what Rebbe's talking about is the Jewish mother goes to Germany and gets a sperm from a German man. Right. And then she gives the she's the Jewish mother who gives birth to the Jewish. Right, but the the neshama wasn't at Hasinai, just like the ger. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, the uh, Chazal. You should see what the Sapporov writes about it. That letting in sperms of Goyim, who knows who they are, who knows how they treated Jews. 
But a ger is voluntarily, it's the Kedusha, the Torah. Many times the gerim become better Jews than, than the average Jew in the shtibble. Take my word for it. But be it as it may, this is a real problem. I came up with it, and this is what I wanted to just mention. I had a wonderful student in the Chalaga, an Israeli student, Kovir graduate. Again, I don't want to mention any names. And um, she had one problem. She was raised in Matastov, Chorev, right wing at the time, Polia, good, the more right wing than today. And on the other hand, she did very well in English as a secondary language, and she felt very much at home with the Anglos in Michlala. So you see, she was caught between two worlds. She never married. And uh, she was desperate, and uh, she went to Germany, she had a daughter. And I met Aliyah Maisa, and I wished her Mazel Tov. And she started to cry. And she said, Rebbe, you're the first one who smiled at me. All my teachers maledicted me for what I did. So I told her, look, it, you asked me, it's a big Shiloh. I don't know if I could say go to Germany. But once you did it, I want to encourage you. You should be matzlich, matzlicha with your daughter. I don't know what happened. She moved away. I used to meet her a lot in Rehov Palmach, and I always asked. But she moved away a number of years ago. That girl is a big girl today. I wonder how she turned out. But you see, this is his second problem, and it's a real problem. It's not just with adoption, the whole Shiloh of Mamzerut, artificial insemination. My dear friend, uh, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's Sadik later in life, but he was in medical school at the time. No, your father, 50 children. Who knows? They meet incest, physical, medical problems. Those of you who know the Hasidic world, I knew Hasidic Einiklach who were blind. Physical problems. And if you do your research, you'll find out it's constantly first cousins intermarrying. The genes cancel out. Similar. I had a, a student, boy, I've had a lot of experience with him. I've had a student in Michala, American girl, 72, perhaps 73, 72. Remember her like yesterday. Her first cousin was at Idri. They married. Asked the Shiloh, that's it. Nothing wrong, I'll pi Yes. There's a problem medically, but statistically it should work out. 
I think it did work out. I've often, I've met people, I asked, children, many children, they're all okay. By now, the children are bigger than the grandparents. Their parents have grandparents' children. Parents, who knows if they're not grandparents themselves, the children. It's many years ago. But I, this is the second problem. Third problem he raises, Geneva. Mamish Geneva. We inherit our parents. Yerusha. All the halacha. By the way, the OU is having a seminar this week, I believe. How to write a, uh, a will that is proper. I don't, I don't have any halachic problem. I have only daughters. Kenny, how does your family divide? The, the, the divide? Two sons and six daughters. Okay. Two sons, two daughters. Api halacha is the eldest, the son. Okay, so Piyalacha, the boys get XX, the daughters get nothing. Right or wrong? Look into Gesha Chaim, Rav Tekachinsky, the volume where he deals with Jerusha, I think it's volume three, and he pleads to write a halachic world. He says, a family in Yiddishalayim, he doesn't give a name, obviously. He says, they insisted everything should be our Piyalacha. And there was no will, and the oldest boy got two X. The boys got X, the girls got nothing. And they don't talk to each other until today. So here too, we have to adjust, which the allows for. These are the dynamics in accordance with our thinking today. Halachic will, it's a gift right before you die. You follow? And then it's not the Torah Jerusha, but the Torah Matana, and you can do whatever you want. So... So uh, he reached, reaches the point. You're inheriting parents. You have no right to inherit them. They're not your real parents. You're robbing from their other siblings, their other children, who are really their parents. And then he makes another point, which is matim uh, for the Haredi world. And sometimes it's just the opposite. Your real parents are very wealthy. And you should be inheriting them. And instead, lo yadu shechem ashirim, lo yadu michem ahorim amitiyim, v'yavdu et ha-yerusha. You lose the Yerusha. Why do I say it's matim for the Haredi uh, world? Uh, I once caught Mincha and Rechov Yushiskin. So there's a big yeshiva there for Anglos, Britain. It's the source of the yeshivas from England. And I dived into there and I saw a printout of the Rosh Yeshiva speech from Shabbos. And it's, I couldn't, you know, again, I can't help it. I'm a Talmud of the Rav. I should have never read it. I got so upset. He's giving a whole speech not to go to college, to have bitachon, not to waste time to get a profession, and he's telling in the speech, and it's all written out, that uh, someone in Kolel's wife was pressuring him, you have a child already, you have to make a living, go out, get a job, leave the Kolel. And he says, no, I have to be a London, we have to get along on the little amount of money we get, I have to keep on learning, I must be a Balbitachon. And... One week later, his aunt died and left him a heavy sum of money. 
I walked out of there, gentlemen, my dear students. Now, what does that mean? That every Kolo kid should pray that his aunt dies, his uncle dies. Okay, follow me, Vic. He'll inherit a bundle of money. We punish Shalom. What type of teaching is this? What type of perversion of Torah Hashem to Mima? But this is Rabbi Nasha Klein speaking that they rob from the real children who inherit and unfortunately they will lose out and what they should be inheriting. And then he makes another point. See, he goes on and on. What's wrong with taking the children away from the parents? He goes on and on. The father dies. The mother dies. The birth mother, the birth father, the real father. No. Unfortunately, I think uh, most people sitting in front of me in class have lost parents. What happens when your parent dies? You're an owning. You're not allowed to daven. Not allowed to make a bracha, right or wrong. There are reasons why. I mean it, what it means. The Rav, there's much Torah from the Rav on this. You're incapable of relating beyond your sorrow and your shock and your trauma. No, his parents died. <laughs> he never knew their names, doesn't know anything. He's not the owning. And then there were halachas of Shiva. And there's nothing. No hanhaga, aninut, avelut, and all that goes with it. And how can we go and squeal, be moisa to the police and, and tell them how bad this family is and the wind up is and and he applies that pasik. I mean, the simple shot means that you're giving the kids lower lane what we're going through with the Hamas today. Perfect example. Enemies conquer us, take away the children, and here we're doing it with our own two hands. All right. Now, Let's go a step further. Very powerful. We still haven't... But you start to understand what this man has seen, what the man has been through. You'll see later with the... Is a whole description with the Gentile will come to. You can see it's a result of the graduate of Auschwitz. I think they attribute the, the comment to Benny Fischoff, if I read it in the biography, and uh, others have said it. They asked the survivors who do well in life, where did you go to college? 
Where did you get your degree? And they answer in Buchenwald, in Auschwitz. That's where they got their degree. You can feel it, feel it right here. But there's much more. Now, then, let's come to another problem. Let's see the positive side. And here I'll tell you a story about the Rav. Uh, Mark, you raised the issue of Geirut. All right, Geirut, we, we have real problems with Geirut. I uh, don't have to tell you. And then there's what you call a Ger Katan mit Gael Dakbeten. Right? That it's a schut for the Ger. I've had this Halacha Lamaisa, uh, a wonderful lady. She lives in Israel today. Again, I don't mention names. And uh, she worked for the OU. And I was so impressed. This lady was the most reliable, most decent. You can't imagine what type of person. And at a certain point in life, she found out that uh, she's not really Jewish. She found out that she was converted al Beitin when she was a, a youngster, when her mother converted. And, you know, it's very interesting. We met her parents. And my wife said to me, that lady is a convert. I, I don't know, she, intuitively, I thought, no, she's Jewish, all right. She might look a little bit uh, goyish, but Jewish. So this girl found out she was converted al the Beitin, a katana. And now she matured found out and uh, she can no you tell me she can renounce her Judaism and say I don't want to be a Jew it's an open halacha no one can force her it's like the Goyim I met in Australia who said no we're not Jewish but we're B'nai Noach we'll observe the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach a lot easier than Shabbat Kashrut Tarat Mishpachar Klayim all that goes with being a Jew Aliyah and we had a long talk, and she said to me, Rebbe, I've been raised Jewish, I live Jewish, I love it, I accept it with all my heart. I said, tell me, from the time you found out that you were dot cotton, did you do one mitzvah with willingly? She said, yes. I said, then, we had such a heart-to-heart talk. It was... It was beautiful. So you see, conversion is a very delicate problem. Now what about America? You have so many issues of conversion. I had in my own life again another experience where Rabbi Melech Shechter, Rabbi Dr. Melech Shechter, father of my classmate, my we grew up together, not my class, my brother's class, but Heshi Shachta grew up together, comes into the base Medrash. Ani, I need, I was sitting with Ray Weinberg, we were learning. Hey, Ani, can you and your Chavrita help me? I need a baton for conversion. It was a block away, in Autobahn Avenue, the mikvah. We say, sure, go up there. This is the most embarrassing moment in my life. The person converting was the president of the shul that I was teaching in in 1959. And I I couldn't believe it. Then I found out the story afterwards that uh, 
his wife was raised Jewish, converted, Italian origins, looked Jewish. And then there was the Brother Daniel case that made the New York Times. And the guy learned that if she doesn't have a proper conversion, uh, her mother has to be Jewish. Her mother was not. Mother converted with a reform rabbi. She's not Jewish. So they reconverted. And there were children involved. And they were being converted. I'll not them. So, all right. Here the chances are they will be from Jews and it's a schut for them. But if you convert Jews, you're on the rabbinate, you're in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and the kids, they, they want to be Jewish, this, that, convert, they're going to grow up. The home is not kosher. Shabbat is not observed. They're going to grow up. Chovah, not schut. If they wouldn't be Jewish, they're fine, they're good, they observe the Shabbat mitzvah. Now they're Jewish, and look what they have to go through. You'll be punished. How dare you convert them? What's good? So the Rav had a policy. He never got involved with conversion of minors, because in America he felt the chances are it's a chovah for them, not a schut. But there was one case, a musmach of the yeshiva. He was living in the Boston area. His wife, there was a problem with him, with his wife. They couldn't have children. It could be a problem either way. A very common problem is the man's sperm count. Is not strong enough. In other words, it's something you will never know. You're normal. You, you can have relations. You can reach a climax. Everything is good. But the sperm count is not strong enough. That, that's where they use a, what they used to call an AI booster. But an AI booster is really AID, AI donor. You follow me, friend? Because it's the donor sperm that is creating the child. It's not AIH. AIH is muta. Why? It's where the woman's body is built in a way that the sperms can't reach the egg. So when in Sharetzetic, they develop tools, you can, uh, syringes that curve, get, that they can adjust. So then they can use the husband's sperms and impregnate the woman. That's a development that began in Sharetzetic many decades ago. But AIH is mutter. AIB, no one talks about today because it's a phony thing. It's AIH, AID, you follow me? Booster, donor, husband. All right. So, this case, the Rav was converted. They adopted little children, and the Rav converted them al Baitan. So the Rav was asked, uh, Rebbe, you never do this. He said, yes, I never do it, but here the couple are B'nai Here I'm sure it's going to be a schut for the child, not a chovah. Now, with that being said, look, these kids, the government has intervened. The parents beat them. The government has decided, the social workers, the psychologists, the authorities involved, they're taking the kids away. 
Alright? They're up for adoption. You're a firm couple. You can come along and say, we're religious Jews. These kids come from a religious household. We want to take them. Are you allowed? You follow? He's gone one step further. After telling of all the prohibitions that were involved with kids who are adopted and don't know who their parents are, what about if the adoption will be for their good, for their skut, for their welfare, for their religious integrity? And here he says, I would be willing to permit it if it's really a situation where if we don't take them, they'll be taken by non-Jews or irreligious Jews. He says yes, and he uses the word, the word that's so popular today in Israel, it could be it falls under the heading of mitzvah pidyon shvuyim. Follow me, Kenny? You're saving kids from a terrible, irreligious childhood. You'll give them Torah. It could be it's pidyon shvuyim. Now, it's not pidyon shvuyim, but it means ke'en. It's like here you're, you're rescuing them from a situation which would be terrible. But what does he say? Only on one condition. The adopting parents have to go before a baton and file an official document that they will tell the children when they're grown up that they are not the real parents, who the real parents are. If the real parents should mature grow up, overcome the difficulties, they will give the children back. And once again he says, Chas if they don't do this, and they won't give the children back, it is Gonev Nefoshet Chayev Mitav, one of the Ten Commandments. it is going to be the Fashat and Rabbi Menashe Klein adds, V'zeh Baruch Kishemesh, he says. I have no doubt about this whatsoever. And when you say these words, going to be the you hear the echo of what he went through. Imagine to have a son you're a survivor. You've gone through the hell of the concentration camps. You're a displaced person. You're a DP. You're in France. You're now in America. You're in Brooklyn. Baruch Hashem. And you finally have a son 
and the son is taken away. The mother absconded, whatever, I don't know all the details of what she did, but apparently went to Canada. No, over an issue like this, they're not going to call the police, they're not going to, what's the word they use when they return a criminal from country to country, what's the word I want? They're not going to, correct, they're not going to extradite the child, and you can hear the echo. Wow. Now, you talk about children who were adopted. So I have to tell you, this was Europe, the Minhag. I still saw it in Yeshiva Salanta. What am I referring to? And I'll, I'll end off with this for today. I had students, classmates, not students, classmates, whose mother was not their real mother. And yet, you could never tell that it was not. And here's the story. Thank God today, childbirth is not the extreme sakana that it was for thousands of years. As we mentioned an hour and a half ago, uh, this Babasali's first wife died in childbirth. That was common. There's a great rabbi who just turned 100, Rabbi Shubit Sparrow, should live and be well. His first wife died in childbirth. It was not uncommon. Today, thank God, medicine has progressed. That's why they're opposed to people giving birth in their homes. They have this concept of birth in your home, it's healthier. But you see, if there's ever a problem, you don't have the facilities that a hospital has. So the minute in Europe was that if a lady died in childbirth, her youngest sister would marry the widower. What was behind it? An aunt would be as good to the child as a mother. And I had classmates in Salanta who their mother was really their aunt. But they never, it, it was something only if you knew. Otherwise in a million years you couldn't guess. And this all becomes part of the general picture. Very delicate questions. You need a lot of the fifth Shulchan Aruch. Mark, you know what the fifth Shulchan Aruch is? The student, it's, it's related, I've seen it related about endless Rabbanim. But the first time I heard of it, it was Rebiz Chochanim, who was giving smicha to a young man who was a Talmud Chacham, and as he signed the smicha, he said, The most important part of Paskening is the fifth Shulchan Aruch. So the kid looks at the Rebbe, cannot I only know four Shulchan Aruch. The fifth Shulchan Aruch, common sense. And, and this is fascinating, see, but Rebbe Menashe Klein went over the hill, going into Foshot, Chayav Mita, uh, the the Anina, the, the, the Shiva, the Shleishim, the money, all that he developed, all these fears, 
but it's an echo of what he went through. And when you know what he went through, believe me, you can understand him. Doesn't mean you have to Paskin like him, but you can understand him. And that's the story with my student, and you have no idea how much we loved her. It's like a daughter to us. When she died young, and who knows from the Akmas Nefesh what role it plays. All right, she, I don't, she might have hit 60, late 50s, perhaps 60. The Akmas Nefesh that it plays and how it harms you, it hurts. And believe it or not, Rabbi Nasha Klein said, I went through exactly what you're going through. And he couldn't help. He said, I can't help. No relationship with that son. And someone listening to the shira, I'm looking at the screen now, knows the son and tells me everyone wondered in the shul in Toronto why he never remarried. And when he heard the story from me, he understood. What's very interesting, if you look up Menashe Klein's Svarim, so he talks about his son, this from the first marriage, he's a doctor, medical doctor. All his other children are Rebbeim, Rashi Yeshiva. It's a different world. He evidently married the second time around a woman who was totally, totally in his world and more. And they succeeded with all the children. He even had a son-in-law who should have been Ger Rebbe today. I, I tell you, the whole story of Ger would have been different. He was killed by a car. I think it was Kolomite Sukkis in the 1990, early 1990s. He was the son-in-law of Rabbi Menashe Klein. Okay, are there any questions? Uh, yes, Ephraim. Um, so when Rabbi Menashe Klein met, finally met up with his son again, do we see any kind of mellowing out of his attitude towards the Jewish people? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think just the opposite, that it, it added to the Akmas Nefesh, that the kid came in and uh, said goodbye very quickly and go fly a kite. And uh, I remember when the girl got married, the invitation listed out all her mother-in-law's yichis to be. And I remember her family said to me, why don't they list our yichis? She was very, very self-centered. And this girl had litvish yichis. She related to, to the Levush Mordechai, to the Moshe Mordechai Epstein. But it's a very sad, my heart breaks. But I, I felt I had to tell you Yoma was right, because then you understand Rabbi Menashe Klein better. You can't, we, we can disagree, but we can't dismiss him. It's the difference. All right, first of all, I want to thank those of you who came. I, I, I saw the rain. I said, Vic won't be here today. I'll see him on screen. You didn't have money for the bus? I didn't have the bus. I had to go for it. You remind me of the time I came to my daughter's house and I didn't have the key. I have the key on my Shabbos ring. And All right, thank Malasak. We're only humans. Yes, uh, uh, set, set me up. Let's see if there are uh, any. Can I just say something? Yeah, you can uh, say whatever I would you like want. I like to take the record straight. I do not advocate violence. I do not want to twist anyone's neck, even if they publish Lashon uh, Harik. I don't know. I, I, just, I would just... Uh, I would just advocate people should ignore these publications. And, I and saw you with violence at a wonderful man yelling and shouting and harming the cause of Torah unbelievably. So I stand on what I say. That's not violence. That's not violence. That's verbal violence. 
That's terror. You follow? Plain and simple. But okay, I want to correct myself. Yomo says he will not commit violence. The Rebbe overdid it in his description. I beg your indulgence, but not your pardon. There are reasons why I'm speaking. Go ahead, open it up to the world. Yomo is Yomo, one of a kind. When they created him, the Rebunishalim threw away the mold. Plain and simple. Right or wrong? Four armies are chasing him today. (laughs) No, it's true. The American army, the Israeli army, the Russian army, and the Ukrainian army. Four armies. It's open. Okay, are there any comments from around the world and uh, around the English representative who doesn't live far from Ohel Rifka, Danny Vogel, David Vogel, the same name as my grandfather, David Vogel. Vogel and Vogel is the same name, exactly the same name. Yes, any comments? Mark, are you awake or asleep? We can't hear him. Okay. In two, uh, Jack, uh, thank you for all you do. Awake. Awake, okay, now we can hear. And Jack, thank you for all you do. It's greatly appreciated. Until we meet again in health and happiness tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., I wouldn't miss tomorrow's share, and I'm going to take the first 10 minutes and talk about the Rav again. Something was just published. And I feel very bad that I lecture and lecture and lecture, and uh, I hope people are listening. And tomorrow I want to help a very prominent author who has a footnote with a big question mark, and I can answer it black and white 100% correctly. Until we meet again in health and happiness, das Danya. Mark, get to sleep. Look at him. His eyes... Closed, closed, okay. He's in Flatbush, that's all right. Yomo. <laughs> Yomo is Yomo. I can't, can't get mad at him. What can I say? <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs>